podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on Red Anchor, we used a full interview from something that we used on Double Century when we talked to a Scottish player about what it was like to beat England. Callum McLeod, Scotland batsman. We had to cut the interview down quite a bit for Double Century podcast of that episode, but he actually said a lot of incredible things. Callum is someone who thinks a lot about his cricket. And in this episode, we cover things like professionalism, how he had to change from being a bowler to a batter, the changes in Scottish cricket, how playing county cricket really helped him, the sacrifices of his family, and what it felt like to play in innings like that and win that game for a Scottish community that loved cricket that much. You started as a bowler, and my favourite professional cricketers are the ones that start in one discipline and end up in another one because I think that they're just more interesting and they have to work on their craft. But when you were young, and I'm going from people who faced you, you were a tear away quick, is what I hear. Yeah, I think a tear away angry quick who ran in and tried to bowl or throw it as fast as I could. And obviously that got me into a bit of trouble and then had to go away and work on it and learn how to bat effectively. That's the short story. The long one is that it was a lot of hard slog and dark days and moan and luckily it paid dividends in the end. I mean, it's quite an interesting story because you're probably one of the fastest balls to come out of Scotland at that point. You had a Warwickshire contract at a very young age. So everything is going great for you at this stage. You get called for chucking. Are you thinking this might be it? I might just not be a professional cricketer after probably dreaming of incredible success a couple of years earlier. You've pretty much nailed it in the head there. I went from opening the bowling in a 2020 World Cup. I think I was 20 years old, which is what you've, you grow up dreaming of doing, uh, the Oval against South Africa, to suddenly a month later... Your action's getting reported. You're not being able to play. You're getting pulled out of games. And the, the initial shock wears off. And then you think, okay, let's just get on with it. Let's do it. Where it, certainly I found it tougher was two or three months down the line where it wasn't really going anywhere. I couldn't really see any improvements. Certainly with the bowling, my batting started to progress. Then lost my Warwickshire contract. So I'm, I'm back up in Scotland. I've got nothing really to do because six months ago or a year ago, I thought the world was at my feet. And to be honest, that winter, I remember speaking to my wife and saying, like, that's it, that's enough for me. I'm going to give it up. I'm, I'm going to go and, I had, a, I had an idea of going to try and play in hockey for Scotland, try and become a dual internationalist. Whether it would have been good enough or not, I've got no idea, but I wanted that challenge. I got really lucky. The timings of it was, there was a very successful Scotland team who were just coming out of being successful into a very young Scotland side. So there was spots in the team. And Scotland were able to offer me a summer contract that I, that I took, basically because I didn't know what else to do. I probably played 15 or 20 games that season where I, I wasn't probably ready enough for it, but there was nobody else to do it. Tony Judd and Pete Steinle, the coaches at the time, obviously seen something in me and basically told me just to go and learn in the job, which is the best place to do it. So I was, I was very lucky with timings and the positions Cricket Scotland was in at that time. I think if it happened now, it'd be a completely different challenge trying to get into the, the current batting lineup or even two years before that with the very successful team that's led by Ryan Watson and Craig Wright. If you can't bat, basically, how do you learn to bat, which is essentially what you did? Yeah, um, I think the first thing is that I love cricket. So being at Warwickshire at that age with the coaches I had and the players that were there at the time, I was traveling to, to first team games, trying to work on my action, traveling 
up and down the country, spending day to day with Alan Donald. I mean, it's brilliant. And then when you do your bowling drills, you sit down and you're watching Ian Bell and Jonathan Trott go about their business day in, day out. And because I've always been interested in the way people train and the way people do things, I'd sit and I'd, I'd watch them and then I'd just go and try it. I'd go and see Jonathan Trott doing his underarms fully padded up or watching Bell doing back sessions for hours on end or Tony Frost, who was having a brilliant season that year, going in and facing the bowling machine as fast as he could with a little thin bat with the oldest bowling machine balls he could get because he found they would move more. And I would just go and try it. And I'd be nowhere near it and still nowhere near as successful as they would do it. But it's the way I, I would learn. I would just watch something, go and try it. And eventually it just started to click. I think the biggest thing that changed was I played some games from Scotland where I didn't bowl. So then the mindset was suddenly actually, well, I better work a little bit harder at this batting because if I'm not bowling and I'm just fielding, then if I don't get many runs, then it could be a long old day. And that was really the crux of it. And then just trying to change the mentality of seeing myself as a bowler into, okay, my current is now runs and, and really trying to put a bit more pressure on that. When I say that you weren't a batter before, where did you start? Like, were you number nine? Were you number 10? Were you number 11? Like, how bad were you is, is basically what I'm asking. That's a nice question. Um, I started for Scotland batting number 11, pretty much. I might have batted 10 for the full side. Coaches who had me then always speaking to me now say that there was more potential in a show than just like trying to play shots and trying to smack it, which most bowlers try and do because I just wanted to get the ball in my hand and run in and bowl fast. I think for junior Scotland, I certainly got 100 and maybe a couple of 50s. So I wasn't hopeless, but I certainly wasn't an all-rounder. I certainly wasn't somebody that would... If you'd told me when I was 18 that I'd be sitting here talking about batting, I, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> um, it is a remarkable turnaround. How much of it, I mean, you talked about Scotland really helping you, especially when you didn't have anywhere to go. If it had been five or six years earlier, would Scotland have had the system to be able to help you grow after you left Warwickshire? It's a good question. Um, probably not. The game in Scotland just progressing at a rate and it was just when professional contracts, there was certainly probably three or four guys on full-time professional contracts and then two or three guys on software contracts when I came out of the game. Whether that would have been there five years before, I doubt it. So that's again, it's the, it's the timing that I've just been a bit lucky. I remember you played for Durham and you were the player everyone told me to look out for coming into the 2015 World Cup. That did not go well. Is that just bad luck or were you still developing a little bit? Because there was, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass at all, but everyone was saying, you've got to watch Callum McLeod. And I reckon I went to about three of your World Cup games. If I remember your numbers correctly, in 2015, you averaged something like six runs in 10 games. I mean, it's a phenomenal effort to actually keep it that low. You've been generous at five. <laughs> it was, it's possible. You're always developing is the easy answer, but it's the tournament I look back with the biggest regret. In that tournament, there was games that we should have won and I just didn't contribute in them. And it's, it's annoyed me even till now. There's games that I look back at and just think there was opportunities there. 2013 and 2014. 2014, the World Cup qualifiers had had a fairly successful qualifiers. I'd got a couple of hundreds and I think maybe a couple of fifties leading into it as well. But if for some reason, 2015, even with Durham, I just couldn't, there was just something just not right. When it stripped it all back with the coaches at Durham at the time, the only thing we could find was that was triggering after the ball was released. But even that, it doesn't sound right. It was just, there was some mm. sort of mental block stopping me. And it's a year that I probably learned a lot from. Again, watching people at that 2015 World Cup, sitting there on the run of form that you've just described, watching Kyle go out and score 100 against 
Bangladesh playing beautifully um, he's 70 or 80 against England the way Machen and um, Beryl fought back against New Zealand in the first game and, and Freddie Coleman's I think he got 17 his last ever game for Scotland against I think it was against Sri Lanka or his second last game watching that especially Kyle I remember sitting and watching Kyle playing Bangladesh and thinking I can't do that I, I'm not good enough to do that but how do I close the gap to be closer to what he can do if that's the best that our team's got and I'm not going any runs and not contributing. I've got to find a way of going away in training and and put myself under a little bit more pressure to try and be as good as, as some of those innings. Didn't work straight away because obviously the rest of 2015 was a train smash. And then gradually as I started to figure it out and I, I got a bit more confidence and working with Grant Bradburn at the time, he helped me change the way I, I, I went after or I looked at the overall picture of batting. And then from there, it, it seemed to just be a little bit, a bit more of a, a gradual development. But certainly that 2015, it's a year that I look back at and just, I actually don't really have words to describe why it went like that. You know, you talked about being a bowler who attacked a little bit and then you become a batter who's known as quite an attacking player at that stage. And then this later version of your career has really developed in a slightly different way in that now that you're you're probably one of the better ball manipulators and field manipulators that you will get in cricket. So it feels like your batting is this constant process. But the interesting thing is that you talk about there how much Scotland has had to do with that. So again, we go, I go back to that, you know, being able to go to a coach of, of Grant Bradburn's ability and be able to go to him and work through your game and develop on who you are. That's probably a, not something that would have happened when you were younger and coming through when it was a bit more of an amateur setup. It's not that you wouldn't have had good coaches. They might just have not had their time to be able to spend with you. Yeah, 100%. And again, I was in a good fortunate position that still had a lot of cricket at Durham because I had 2016 to, I was still playing some cricket there to get some confidence back, even in second team cricket. I'm a big believer that if you score runs, you get more confident, whether you're playing a Saturday club game or whether you're playing in any game. If you're used to scoring runs, then it's a habit. So 2016, Grant changed the way he looked at a little bit of the Scottish cricket, but certainly the way he looked at, at my batting. He wanted me to try and get more what he called winning performances or significant contributions. So kind of the innings in between, because I, I, I seemed to be a little bit of a streaky player, that the innings in between not scoring runs weren't quite as vital. as How many times can you put in a contribution that actually impacts the game? And if I looked at my batting like that, instead of worrying about numbers and worrying too much about what the end result was, was actually, okay, how do I influence this game? How do I help the team in this game? And it just seemed to, something about to click with my batting. And in that season, I think I finished the season with, I think I finished the end of 2016. I think there was three ODIs in Scotland and I managed to get 200 out of the three innings. So I was, I was back in a confident place, which after 2015 was quite nice. Googlies, Quartersema, Karen, Dukes, Back of the Hand, Red, Leg Cutters, Tisra, Pink, Knuckle, White, Slider, Seed, Heavy, Bounces, Cherry, Length, Pill, Off Cutters, Old, Crimson Traveller, Kookaburra, Hard, Outswing, Second New, Off Spin, Arm, SG, Split Finger, Shiny, Leg Spin, Soft, New, Yorkers, Flippers, Wrongens, long hops, reverse swing, half volley, and third new. These are just some of the names we use for balls in cricket. Well, Manscaped wants you to be as proud of your balls as you are of the ones delivered by your favorite cricketer. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. 
join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Insert the code REDINCA at manscaped.com. I've actually used this, um, not just something that I'm hawking for fun. And I got to admit, I thought it was a bit silly. And then I went down there and it was exceptional. I honestly feel I could bowl outswing with one nut and inswing with the other. So get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code REDINCA at manscaped.com. Manscaped, for the man who cares about his balls as much as the ones out in the middle. Obviously, I won't take you back all the way to 1999 when Scotland lost against Bangladesh. You were very young at the time. It wasn't your fault. I'll let you go for that one. 2015, off the top of my head, there was a couple of games there. The England game, I thought you guys were going to roll England in, where was that, Christchurch? There was obviously a couple of other games that went down to the wire and where you put yourselves in really good positions. They didn't work. You then have the West Indies qualifying game. At that stage, there's absolutely no doubt that Scottish cricket is playing good cricket. They're getting themselves against really good opponents. But it felt like there was like almost like a block at that point. How much of that was mental or how much of it was that young side you were talking about developing and getting to the next level? I think it's definitely a little bit of both. I think we had too many close games for there not to be something there. And it was a touch Scottish, which we hated. It's one of these things that if you're in a Scottish sports team and somebody says, oh, it's a bit, you're the underdog Scott story and things like that. You, it, it's Scottish sports and hate it because it's stereotyping. It's something that we were fighting away, but certainly we'd got so close in so many games and there's more games than you mentioned there that we should yeah, have won right. and I think, I mean, the West Indies game you mentioned there, that's probably the game of cricket I've thought more about than any other game of cricket I've ever played in because it was an opportunity for us not only to win that, then qualify for the World Cup and what that could have done to cricket in Scotland. It was such an opportunity missed. But I think that was part of the development and actually taking that bit of heart and actually, okay, if that's what it feels like, again, how are we going to change it? And some of that is players maturing. If you look at, at like young Michael Jones coming into the team, even George Munsey, who's, I think he's 27 or 28 now, but at that stage was still developing his game into the player he's become now. Cropsey's still a little bit finding his way, even though he played a few games. A lot of them, that was probably the first time they really hurt after something like that. I think it just inspired us just to go on and just try and reach that next level, which, again, we're not quite as far along the road as we'd want to be, but we're certainly, certainly used parts of that to frame the way we train and the way we do things to help us progress. Because you're an associate cricketer, but you've know, been an associate cricketer for a long time, a lot of the games that you play in, in Scotland are hugely high stakes. You were talking about lost contracts, lost jobs at Cricket Scotland if you lose in some tournaments or you lose some games. I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong here, when you play England, it's a little bit different than that because especially the England in 2018 that we're talking about now, that was the best one-day team in the world, even if not everyone in the world quite understood that at the time. It clearly was the best one-day team in the world. And the pressure suddenly comes off a little bit because you're just like, well, no one's expecting us to win. Whereas when you're going up against Netherlands and you're playing for your ODI status or something, it's like anything could sort of happen. Whereas against England, it's like, we're playing them at the Grange. We're going to have a great time. The crowd's going to come in anyway, and maybe we can have a bit of fun. Is it a different kind of environment playing England at that stage than some of the other games? Yes, 100%. I say 100%. Any, any game that you're playing England or any time you're playing a full member, you know what that can mean to you as an associate. So, and those opportunities come around so rarely for us, and especially recently. I think we've played six ODIs in Scotland since we played England three years ago. We don't play enough cricket, so every game has got some sort of pressure. But certainly when you know you're not trying to qualify, you don't have jobs in your line, you don't... I mean, trying to clear your mind and play with freedom when you know that 
again, there's a potential to change your foreseeable future. It's, it can be quite a hard place to be. But that England, we knew we were playing good enough cricket that if we played the way we, we ended up playing, especially batting, we knew we'd been putting scores up against teams. We knew we'd been putting some of the other full members under pressure. Now there is a step up between Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, Ireland, Afghanistan, and then England in 2018 there is. But we knew that we were playing cricket that was good enough to challenge full member teams, which is where we want to see ourselves, certainly in my ball cricket. So I think the expectation from us was to go out and play well and to put them under pressure. We wanted them to come and play well, but we wanted to play better. I remember, I can't remember if it was Kyle or Grant that said it on the interview. It, it, we don't want teams to come and play badly and we, be, and we want teams to come and play well and our game is better than theirs. And that's the mindset we had to get into. Instead of expecting a full member to come and just roll over, because that doesn't happen often, we need to take those moments that we'd lost in the 2015 World Cup, we'd lost against West Indies. Those small little moments that we had been losing, actually changing that to winning them. And that's probably where the long-term process of the winning and significant contributions came in because people were less focused on, okay, I got 80 off 120 balls or actually I got 60 off 30 balls and that's a winning performance. So guys were used to what a winning performance and a significant contribution looks like. I think that made a real shift to the way we played. Did you have a realistic view that as a team that you were going to go into that and have a chance of winning or is it more, let's just go out there and, ha- and express ourselves? Because I know that was kind of a feeling of the team around that time as well. We sat in the meetings and we spoke a lot as a batting unit we'd watch England we'd watch Australia we'd watch India we'd watch them get 350 and we framed a lot of our chats around okay if that's what the top teams are in the world are doing how does this batting unit get to do that how do we become a consistent 300 plus or 330 team whatever the game's going how do we get to that and I think we ended up losing games along the way that we probably should have won especially in associate cricket against teams that potentially 270 would have been a winning total. But actually, we tried to push on and get 330 and ended up closing games. But we knew that if we want to go to the World Cup or if we want to go and beat the full members, we've got to be a 350 team because that's the way the game's getting played on good wickets. So a lot of the framing was, okay, let's enjoy it. We knew the sun was going to be out. We knew there was going to be a good crowd. Let's enjoy it, but let's play the way we want to play. And let's do it the way we've been doing. Let's not go into a shell. Let's not go timid. Let's not take a step back, which we'd possibly done in games before, let's actually go and put them under pressure. And I think, I've said this before, but as a captain, I think it's very easy to say that in a changing room. It's very easy for a coach and a captain to say, go and express yourself, go and do this, go and be aggressive. But when, in my opinion, Scotland's best ever cricketer or backup for Scotland, Kyle, goes out and then not only the captain in that, but goes and does it as a player, the way that pushes the rest of the players forward Everyone's thinking, okay, let's just jump on what he's doing, jump on the way he's playing, and let's go and fly with that. And I think the confidence that the batting unit took from watching him doing it and leading it and really pushing us just went all the way through the batting unit. He obviously got off to a great start. Him and Matthew Cross scored very, very quickly. It's quite obvious early on that it's a small ground because Sky had moved the boundaries in for their cameras, and it's a flat pitch. You get out there, they're already running. What are you thinking at this point? Are you looking at a total or are you just like, let's just play myself in here? The way they start, I mean, back at three, if you come in at 100 for one, I mean, you've, it's quite a nice position no matter what game of cricket you're coming in. It's quite a nice position and I can't remember what over it was. And the spin was on and I, f- I felt fairly confident. I'd played Rashid before, I was fairly confident. I knew that 
whether I might not be picking them up, I'd have time or be able to play it in a certain way to start with. So I was in a good position. I was feeling pretty confident about my game. And then obviously Crossy got out. So we thought about rebuilding slightly, but we knew it was such a good wicket that we knew that, that we couldn't rebuild for too long. And I actually nearly ran myself out and not, which I always forget until I, I watch it back. Um, but then after that, once Sparrow and I got in, we spoke about, okay, what options? How are we going to put the pressure on them? And um, for Barrow, that was pretty much hitting down the ground. And then the, the good thing with batting with Richie for me is that we've played so many games of cricket together now is that he can drag shots out of me because um, sometimes I can be a little bit, okay, I'm going to bat for a long period of time. Whereas he was dragging it out to make sure I was, I was going to my sweep early enough to put them under pressure because it was such a good wicket. And then once we got in that rhythm, then I think part of what little success I've had when I get into a game plan and I can stick to it for a long period of time, I can be quite good at that. I'm, I, I don't have to then go and change. I'm not, if something's working, I'm quite stubborn enough just to keep doing it. Whereas some batsmen would want to change it and show the range of different shots. I mean, I, I think I didn't play reverse sweeping that innings against the spin, which is not something I, I would normally, I would normally, with the field especially, is something I would probably do quite early. But I remember thinking in that game, okay, I don't have to do it because what I'm doing is working. And then it was just a case of doing it for as long as you can and then just getting on the wave. And I don't think I ever looked at the scoreboard and thought, okay, we need to be doing this. The guys just kept coming in and scoring, which made it quite easy just to keep a nice tempo all the way through. There's a lot of really interesting things that you've talked about there, the way that you played the spinners and everything. Previously, you see sometimes when associate teams stepped up that it's the fast bowlers or the wrist spinners that usually trip them up. But you'd already made 100 against Afghanistan. So at that point, all of associate cricket was getting so much stronger that you're coming up against really strong spinners anyway. I mean, I think the Afghanistan attack had, it was Rashid Khan, Mujib might have played, and Muhammad Nambi might have played. Like, that's three pretty good spinners to go up against, make runs against. And then when you come up against Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid, you're at least thinking, well, I can compete. And for you, you've also, you faced one of them before. So it's kind of a different situation than what associate cricket had had 10 years before. 100% and the fast bowling bit of it is I think probably the the part of associate cricket that I've noticed probably I don't know if improves the correct word but certainly take a big leap I think most of the associate teams now have one if not a couple of bowlers who can hurry you so when you make that step up to a full member it's not as uncommon as it might have been in previous years when the game was a bit more amateur and the guys might not have been I mean I'll probably get some old batters coming home and go at me for that but I think it's certainly, you look through most of the associate teams, even looking through our bowling unit at the moment, you've probably got six, seven, eight guys, all who can bowl a fairly heavy ball. And then the well, rest... The Dutch bowling lineup. Yeah, the Dutch, know, I look at that. The, the, the Dutch team we played last month, a very good bowling attack of Vidbeek, Van Meerkoen and Kingma, and they've still got Van der Gupten, Glover, and somebody, I'm missing somebody probably always there, sitting there. There's a depth to associate cricket now, which is brilliant. It would just be nice to, for a few more games of cricket to show it. And then the wrist spin, and the plane spin was, it's funny because 2016 where I'd, and 2017 where I'd start to score a few more runs again, I'd lost my sweep a little bit. I wasn't playing it particularly well or it'd been getting me out. And we were in Pretoria and we were on the training camp before, I can't remember what we were in Pretoria for, before we went to Zimbabwe for the World Cup qualifiers. And we knew that Bulaway was likely to spin. We knew some of the grounds in Zimbabwe were likely to spin. And I wasn't feeling that confident about going down the ground. And I remember I was 
watching Richie bat on the Merlin machine at the High Performance Academy. And he was just practicing sweeps. And I'd taken my pads off. I'd finished my session. I was, I was done my cool down. I was sitting there with a bottle of water just watching, watching him hit them. And I thought, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go and put my pads back on. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to ask him a couple of questions. I'm just going to try it a little bit like I said to you. I went about learning my very first steps of batting, about watching somebody and thinking, okay, if he's doing that, let's go and try it. And I can't remember what he said or whether he even said anything. I, I, I can't remember. I just went in and within about 10 balls, I was like, oh, I'm hitting this as well as I've ever hit it. And whether it was confidence, whether it was me lying to myself a little bit because I'd done something I didn't want to do, whether I was tricking myself, whatever. But within 10 balls, I knew that was, my, that was going to be my best option. So then every session against Watty out there, I just made sure almost every ball he bowled, I was sweeping. So I, I felt really confident. And it just came from that one net session where I was just watching. And from there, I've just, it's just become a really confident shot for me. If you look at the batting lineup, everyone kind of made double figures. You obviously went on to get a few more, but both openers get runs. Richie gets runs. And then George Munsey comes in and gets runs. And I think it's maybe even more obvious of the changes within Scottish cricket when Munsey and Leesky comes in later. So Munsey reverse sweeps like his second ball, third ball off the top of my head. And now uh, we all know that that's, I mean, he plays that shot 98% of the time, but it's also to be able to do that against England in that kind of situation shows something. And then Michael Lees comes in later and hits six first ball, right? It just felt that Scottish cricket was at a different stage than it had been three years before, even if most of the players, you know, and you had really talented players in 2015 as well. It's not like the talent levels had changed. It just felt like you guys were just like, oh, we're here now. We're ready to have a go. And things had changed. 100%. I think if you take the George innings, certainly it's probably a little bit hard. I certainly know I've done it and I'm sure batters of maybe other Scotland teams have done it before in that situation. Mike thought, okay, get myself in get myself a score, but we're playing on Sky. It's an opportunity to even get a 30 or a 40 and show what we're capable of. Whereas our mindset had changed. Oh, actually, the right thing to do here is more Nally's bowling. He's got the wrong field probably for George and George has just done it. Everything we'd spoken about, everything that Kyle had asked people to do, why Kyle hits his third ball down the ground for six. Little moments like that. And George took his moment there and went with it, I think. I think I'm right saying it was his first of the I-50 and what from playing that, you can see the confidence that that's given him for the rest of his game. And you can see the way he's developing now. And I, th- I think that was probably even just those early shots of turning around and doing it. And then the way he, he was attacking Plunkett down the ground, it shows how far we've come as a team to have that sort of power at five who can come in and play like that. These innings in Holland last month or two months ago, whenever it was, at five showed a completely different side of the team. And it was brilliant to watch where we were under a bit more pressure and he had to score almost at less than on the ball, which he's not used to doing. So his development and the way he's playing is, is really exciting for Scottish cricket. Leeskies was a touch more interesting because he came in and told me he was going to get a single to get me back on strike and then hit it out the ground for six, which said, what happened there, Leeskies? And he said, oh, just, it was just there, which was, I mean, I've never seen a man hit his first ball for six so often. So but again, that was, it was good to see him do that. And then the, the way he came in and, and bowled in some tough situations as well was, was quite good for Leeskies. You mentioned depth before, and you didn't have Josh Davey in this team because he was um, still had his Somerset contract. Preston Momsen made himself available and you didn't pick him. So you guys weren't possibly at full strength, although Preston may not have got on this side anyway, but you know, Josh certainly would have been there and thereabouts. Whereas England were pretty much at full strength other than the fact that Joffre Archer, well, Joffre Archer hadn't yet qualified, so they couldn't pick him. 
almost in every other way, England was at full strength. This wasn't one of those teams where three or four blokes were being rested. This was a really, really good quality England team, wasn't it? It's one of these, okay, Ben Stokes didn't play, Josh Butler didn't play. Potentially could change the game. But they're not picking guys who aren't either full-time contracted or the guy they've brought in for Josh Butler, Sam Williams, he's in an IPL contract. He's playing IPL. He's in all the 2020 leagues around the world. He is a fantastic cricketer. He's not coming in after doing his training at a club ground in his last game before he plays England or an international game as a club game. He is a full-time professional cricketer who's done well enough to play for England. It's... Whether they claim they were on it at full strength or I think Morgan said they were undercooked, which felt a bit of a, a low blow, especially him coming from Ireland and knowing some of the challenges of associate cricket. I think whether they played their team as a team or not, they were probably playing a lot more cricket than we were. But like the depth is who countries they bring in IPL players or they bring in guys who are the best players in county cricket and, and we can't even get our, our best county cricketers to come and play, which shows the difference. But... It's part of the associate challenge. It's something we have to deal with. And it's, in a way, it's a good thing because it now means that the next squad that has to be picked when everybody's available, the guys in Scotland have to be doing well enough that if Josh Davey or Brad Wheel or Michael Jones become available or Scott State or whoever becomes available, we have to be putting in performances that are good enough to take them out of the team. And they have to be putting in performances that get them in the team, which I think has been a big shift. I think historically in Scotland, sometimes if you were playing cricket, you got a game. You just came in and you'd placed the guy mm. like for like in the team. Whereas now there's a much bigger focus on actually, well, if you're not performing for your county, then you can't just expect to come in and play, which I think a good place to be in. We've talked about everyone else making runs. Your scoring rate is far quicker than probably sometimes you even do in T20 cricket at times. You went completely ballistic in this game against a better bowling attack than you usually go up against. I know that you knew some of these guys. You probably played with Plunkett, probably played with Wood. You played against some of them, so you weren't completely out of it. But you're a thinking player. How much are you out there manipulating, trying to find the best angles and everything? And how much are you just riding the wave of the fact that you're seeing the ball like you don't usually see it? I think it's a bit of both. I think when you're riding the wave, to me, it's, it's you're making better decisions more often. Or for me, I'm making better decisions and picking better options or hitting better angles or what I'm trying comes off. And some of it was manipulate the field. Uh, there, was a, there was a nice over against Moeen Alley where I think I swept him, so they changed the field. So I, I swept it a little bit finer. So then he changed it. And then what was quite pleasing for me is he, he came down and used with feet to create a different angle, which was something I'd been working on a lot. For that exact reason, so if it changed, then I had a different angle, and then they switched it back to different field, which then I was then able to take a, a more aggressive option. I was able to to think, okay, I can now hit it for six. Whereas after getting boundaries in the past, I potentially would have gone, okay, I'll just knock that down the ground and try and get one. Whereas actually, for some reason, and it's something I think about a lot more often now when I'm batting on that day or against Rashid and Bulawayo or Nabi, was okay. How do I keep putting them under pressure? Because they're too good to just let all a few. If you only hit them for one ball and then just take the next one for one, if it's still a, a ball that you can play aggressively to, then they'll be okay because over time they will build you up from pressure. So for me, it was, it's something I've taken into me, led from those two innings especially, is I want to be trying to put as much pressure on their best ball because they're going to bowl it quite a lot because they're very good cricketers or very good bowlers. So if he bowled the same ball again, well, I was going to take the most aggressive option I could to it. 4,000 people in at the Grange. I've never been there, but everyone tells me it feels like the crowd is on top of you at times there. 
you obviously grew up in Scottish cricket. Your father takes photos of Scottish cricketers. Like you're, you know, a proper family of Scottish cricket. When you bring up your 100, are you in any way conscious of what is happening around you or are you just tired and looking for more runs? I think you're absolutely right. After, after I order, you mentioned 99 World Cup. We went and watched the 99 World Cup. I remember the first ball with Patterson, I think it was Patterson, and I hit it off his legs for four. I remember things like that growing up, I think, even though I was young. I've watched, even when I wasn't in the team, I'd go and watch Scotland. So yeah, I was aware of it, but I was also aware of where my dad was. I knew he had his cameras there. It's much just to a little nod to him because he did I've been very lucky. I've had two parents who've been very supportive of me, driven me. My mum used to, when I was at Warwickshire as a kid, she'd get up at four o'clock on a Sunday morning, drive me down to a session on a Sunday starting, whenever it started, I'd do a two or three hour session and she'd sleep in the car park and then drive me home for school the next day. I mean, so I'm always a little bit right or wrongly, when I get closer to hundreds, I'm always fairly aware of where my mum and dad is and make sure there's either a little nod or a little little bit of a back tab towards them because I know what they've put in it for me. But the crowds or the pitch invasion at the end is the moment that gives me the most goosebumps. It's the moment that I remember most vividly. It's Safi's final wicket and just this onrush of noise and people. I've never seen anything like that in uh, Scottish cricket. I've not seen much of that Scottish sport. Never mind Scottish cricket. It was amazing to be a part of it, and the energy and the, f- the feel of it, and then guys coming and jumping on you from clubs or people that you see and you knew, and the, the, the elation in, in their face and the, the excitement and, and just how much it meant to a bigger group of people. That, to me, was, without doubt, the standout moment of the day. Because it showed if we could capture that and, and grab more of it as an organisation and as a team, then how far we could push cricket in Scotland. So yeah, that was the crowd. Even though it was 4,000, it felt like a lot more. And you need to get yourself to the Grange one day because it's a beautiful, beautiful little ground. And when the stands are in, it feels, because it's a bowl, it feels like they're on top of you. And it's just a really great venue to play cricket. Could you tell me what you made in this particular match off how many balls? Made 140. I'm going to guess 90 balls. Close enough. At halftime, you walk off, you must be walking on air. You, you know, you dreamt of taking wickets at the Grange probably when you were a kid. Now you've made this huge score against England that you probably didn't even think about. How confident is the team? Because it is a small ground and it is a flat pitch. And you've just seen some very good bowlers get absolutely dispatched. I think when you've got 370 in the board, you're always confident. You know they're going to have to play well. But when they come out and they do play well and Johnny Bale still plays the way he played, and suddenly they're making 370 look like it's going to be a walk in the park at one point. You start to think, oh, wow, this is next level. This is how they play it. And they weren't frightened of that score in the slightest, which again goes back to the long term, like you were saying, of why we were trying to develop to be that sort of team, because they were used to scoring that sort of score. So once they got going and once Bearstow was playing and the way he was hitting the ball was, I mean, it's not enjoyable when you're in it, but when you look back at it, there's so much to learn from it, so much to watch. And I know a lot of our guys have gone away and, and looked at the way he'd go about it and, and think about how they can add some of that to their games. But this is where a lot of what we'd done came back into aggression. I think that we Mark Watt, Mark Watt in the, that game doesn't get enough credit. I think he bowled 10 overs, 3 for 55, which in a wicket where 350 was probably par, he's gone miles under the run rate and picked up three key wickets. But even the way he went about it and the way he created things and then the way the guys kept creating chances, that was a big thing as a bowling unit. Okay, we needed to keep creating chances and run out chances and those little half chances that we can create because they can be hard to come by in a one-day game. But when they 
new white balls get a little bit older, those chances, if you can take them, really slow teams down. So that was our full thing and when we were doing it and then we got on that little roll where we took two or three wickets really quickly. I think that's when I think we really start to think, okay, we can, we're going to win this until Moyne Ali started smacking it everywhere. That's another really interesting thing. So, you know, being at that England game in 2015 where you were playing a far worse team than this, they weren't confident in 2015. The way they batted absolutely let you guys into the game and gave you a chance to win something when they probably should have made 400 in that particular game on that pitch. This time, you guys have done everything you have to do to make this big score. Bairstow comes out and makes it look like a tiny score for about 15 minutes and completely changes the game. When you take that third wicket, I think their score was 220 after 27 overs at that point. They had changed the shape of that chase that we're talking about, the 370 chase into something quite small. And they bat all the way down. I think Mark Wood batted 11 that day. And, you know, he's not a normal number 11. Adel Rashid has 10 first-class hundreds and was batting at 10. So it was one of those really long England batting lineups. It just seemed that you guys, there was a bunch of times when England looked like they were going to take the game away and cruise to victory and embarrass you a little bit. If they'd have got that in the 45th over or something, you guys would have been like, well, what's the point of this? And yet you kept finding your way back. So you're talking about those first little bit of wickets that around the 220 score. Then you got another bunch uh, later on as well. Just felt like the team wasn't going to allow to be run over the way that it had been in previous big games. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where it shows it more than the batting. The little attention to details. If you watch the way the guys field and the way they were getting into the correct positions to take taking breaks on the stunts, these were things that we'd been working on. There's a brilliant wicket where Ali Evans finds himself at point. Okay, Ali Evans is a big, tall, fast bowler, not your natural point fielder. But he'd taken it upon himself in probably the months leading up to that. When Bear was bowling, he knew he was going to be in the ring. So actually, why don't I go and practice being at point and trying to make something of himself instead of standing there and not being very good at it? And he took a very good catch. He was close and Hills hit it at him. So it's these little moments and you don't notice them unless you actually sit back and you, you see the overall picture where you're involved in it. And they were the exact moments before that we would have been losing. The runouts we might have just missed, or Moyne Alley's catch where Mark takes pace off the ball. We might have gone safe and bowled it into his legs and tried to get him off strike and try and bowl at the other guy. Instead, he's gone the other way and gone, okay, what's my best chance of getting him out and winning this game? It just little moments like that. And I did it. I think that comes again from a little bit of the way we practice and the way we, we reevaluated how we, we looked at games of cricket. There are heaps of little moments. There's the fact that it's quite noticeable that the fielding was. Not sharper in skills, but sharper in execution. Like Fielder's taking the ball in front of the stumps in a more professional manner. Leesky got absolutely smashed by Johnny Best. I think he hit him for three sixes in a row, yet still gets the run out later on. He's not moping in the field. And Mark, what you know, you talked about him before. He's a left-arm finger spinner going up against Moinelli, who I think at this stage, other than Chris Gale, has the best strike rate in the world against left-arm finger spinners. And yet, Watty, who was 20, 21, I think, around that time, has the ability to outthink him in that moment and take him on as much as anything. All those little things, it's just like you keep putting them together and your pattern of your cricket and the way that you built yourself into this sort of player is very similar to what Scottish cricket has done at the same time. It's not that the talent was ever a problem because you obviously had natural talent. It's all the little pieces of getting it together, which, you know, you and Kyle are not the most talented natural players that have ever come from Scotland. It's just that the entire setup has given you guys a platform to get to a level that the team has never been able to get to before. Yeah, probably. I think that's where you start to see the platform that you're talking about being built, the next level of skillful players who are coming through in Mark Watson, 
okay, having all the hairs back involved in some of the younger batters, you can you can see that they did. We took a Durham second eleven side for four hundred and fifty last week. I mean, it's brilliant to see the skills that these guys have got, and it's brilliant to watch. And I think what is a little bit at the forefront of that is he, he, now he's a couple of years older. He's just got a real good cricket sense of how to bowl, but he's also competitive. He also likes winning. He, he wants to get in the battle. He wasn't going to shy away. didn't matter to him that it was Moyne Alley. It could have been anywhere. And to be honest, there's a good chance he wouldn't have known who it was at the other end. He's just got a cricket sense and a, a competitiveness of growing up and playing the cricket he's played at quite a young age to actually go, OK, I'm just going to try and beat you. I think that's quite an exciting place for a lot of Scottish cricket to be in. And, and you start, in my opinion, seeing it with a lot of the young players coming through. Bairstow almost takes the game away. Ali almost takes the game away. And then Liam Plunkett, who I'm assuming you know fairly well, almost takes the game away. When it actually comes down and they only need a handful of runs or you know, a few more runs to actually win the game, you get that final LBW. What kind of a relief comes over that team at that point? I don't remember being relieved. It comes a little bit back to, I was joy, it was emotion. It was just the moment we'd been building up for. And it's part of what I look back at and enjoy that game the most for is that they played well as well. Both teams played well and we were able to win that moment that we'd been speaking about for years. So I don't think there was much relief. I think it was just enjoyment, just a little bit, maybe a sense of we've, we've done something here. And then the pitch invasion that I've spoken about. And then, like I said, it was everybody else. It was it was sitting in the bar after with Fraser Watts, having a beer with him, who'd, who'd played, who'd helped me as a young batter. Like He was getting as much enjoyment out about as, as I was. And it's things like that, that as opposed to thinking, oh, we got away with one there. Actually, no, I'm going to enjoy this for what it is. We've played well, they've played well, but we've managed to win that little moment, which we've been speaking about. And we just need to go on and keep trying to get those moments to keep trying to win games of cricket. It can't just be that one game that we keep going back to. We want to have more opportunities to go and do that, which is easier said than done in the last couple of years with, with COVID. But hopefully when we get more opportunities to come up against teams, whether it be associates or whether it's full members again, we've, we've got that chance and we've got these memories and we remember how to win those small moments to go out and, and play well. Scottish cricket is a very tight-knit, small unit of people. And I'm talking about not just the players and the former players, but, you know, everyone at club level and all that sort of stuff. Did you feel like that was justification for, like, a lot of the effort that people have been putting in to keep cricket alive? Because it... As I said before, it's not that Scotland hadn't produced good cricketers before, but quite often they disappeared into the county setup, or they played a few games for Scotland and Scotland hadn't played more. It, it felt like suddenly there was a chance to celebrate everything about Scottish cricket in one go. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part where becoming more of a professional year is helping is that guys can have a career in Scotland. They don't have to disappear out of out the game or can continue to do it after they've maybe left counties. You're right, it's, it is quite a tight that you unit but there's also a lot more cricket played in Scotland than people probably give it credit for the enjoyment for everybody involved there it is it's, it's the club it's seeing guys that you hadn't seen for a few years because you hadn't you hadn't come across them or next time you go back to a club and they want to say well done or it's at the airport and there's a guy who'd read about it at the paper who just wants to come up and say well done to the cricket team for beating England it didn't matter whether we'd played anything it was it's repeating England. And it's also probably the expectations and the ambitions of teams and players in, in Scotland. Now, you, I always think you got that one moment and then it's how you build on it. I think the organisation are doing a decent job of it, of trying to build the standard of cricket in Scotland. And I think the more we do of that and having moments and memories like that really establishes 
the ambition of players that they can go and do things like this. They can go onto the world stage and, and beat people. And I think that started to filter all the way down through the regional cricket and, and club cricket, which is hopefully in the years to come produced an even better standard of play. As a Scottish cricket, actually, as Mr. Scottish cricket, what does English cricket mean to you? Because you learnt your game there as much as you did in Scotland to go up against them in a big game like this and win. But as a general thing, what does English cricket mean to you? Are they the enemy to you or is it something a bit different? Whilst we can make a career in, in Scotland, the lure of going and playing first-class cricket, which we don't do at all for Scotland, or going and playing in the blast or the 100 or the 50 over competitions, whatever you can get into, you, you guys want to go and challenge themselves. And nobody in Scottish cricket is going to be probably blind enough to say that the standards of domestic cricket is good enough that you can't lose players to the county game. In fact, I, I'm a big advocate of getting as many players in Scotland as we can playing in the county game because... It means there's then another place for somebody to play in Scotland and then it builds the whole system up. And to be honest, when when England are playing, I, I think they play quite quite exciting cricket. I quite like watching them play and it's a team that I can learn from. It's, I'm not going to be a Scotland fan with whatever team England are playing, supporting them. I'm just going to watch it as, as a bit of a neutral and I think it's quite nice in the England team at the moment. It's, there's guys that I've either played with or against quite a bit and I quite like seeing them do well. Unless they're playing us, in which case, probably never see them again. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Right, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon. So thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoner by The Red Crickets. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from Cricket's past, well, I have a history of cricket podcast called Double Century. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Century in your favourite podcast app.